0: I'm Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 115. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, I'm sitting at my dining room table on a kind of rainy, gloomy day, and I want to introduce you to someone who I am completely enamored with. Her name is Meg... Co- Megan Cox Gurdon, and she is the um, children 's Literature Editor of the wall street journal any any paper that has a children 's editor has got to be quite a good a good paper who appreciates children and values them. And if you've been to my seminars over the years, I'm constantly quoting from Wall Street Journal articles written by Megan or in Primus magazine or you name it, she's quoted everywhere. But I want to introduce you to a book that she wrote several years ago. And if it were up to me, I would just read you this entire book word by word on the podcast, but that would be illegal. (laughs) So I'm not going to try, but I am going to share some things from it. The name of the book is The Enchanted Hour. The Enchanted Hour, subtitled, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. Don't you love that? I'll read it again. The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction, by Megan Cox Gurdon. So Megan is quite a woman. Um, She graduated summa cum laude from, I believe it was Bowdoin. Uh, She lives in Washington. Her husband is a um, also in the news business, a foreign correspondent, she began working for the Wall Street Journal in 2005, and she has written for every major, uh, you know, piece of literature and um, news in America. And she also worked as an overseas correspondent in Hong Kong, Tokyo, London. And she's, you know, traveled and reported from all over the world, Cambodia, Somalia, China, Israel, South Korea, Northern Ireland. But the best part about her is that she and her husband have five wonderful children. And I love to tell the story of how Megan got involved in reading out loud. So when she was a young woman, um, I don't know if she was married yet, but she was at a dinner party and she had had no children and she's at this dinner party. And, um, all of a sudden the hostess of the party is gone and she's gone for a really long time. And so Megan said to her, this lady's husband who is hosting the party, where's your wife? Is there something wrong? Is she okay? And he goes, oh yeah, everything's fine. She's just reading to the boys. And literally like an hour later, the lady comes back to her own dinner party and Megan was just like, what on earth? And the woman actually is a TV producer, uh, actually film, a film producer and, you know, certainly not, you know, sort of a little house on the prairie mom. And Megan was so impressed by this. So she began doing research about Is this something important to do if we have children? So as she and her husband began having children, she had her very first baby, and she brought the baby home. I believe it's a little girl, and she brought her home from the hospital, and she tells the story of putting this newborn baby, like four-day-old baby, on a chair laying her down or whatever, and beginning to read this very elaborate fairy tale to her. And the baby was like wailing and crying. And Megan, being a brand new mother, had no idea. She's like, okay, this isn't working. I must not be doing something right. And that began her journey. And she and her husband have read to their children, particularly Megan has, their entire lives. And many of them, I believe, are now grown but she is just an evangelist for reading out loud with kids. Uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article not too long ago. Let's see, it was uh, 2019, January 19th, 2019, and it was called "The Secret Power of the Children's Picture Book." The Secret Power of the Children of the Children's picture book, and she talks about how when mothers are looking at um, an electronic screen, she says this, children learn to naturally regulate their attention when they're focusing on a task they find interesting in a context that is nurturing, warm, and responsive, as Vanderbilt University's David Dickinson put it in a paper summarizing the rich developmental value of reading out loud. She says, excuse me, in contrast, fast-paced TV shows have been shown to impair executive function in young children after as little as nine minutes of viewing. Let me say that again. Fast-paced TV shows have been shown to impair executive function in young children after as little as nine minutes of viewing. Nor is that the only downside. Babies look at adults to see where we're looking. So if we're glued to our electronic devices, that's what will draw their gaze to. What they see may not be what we want them to see. As the psychologist Katherine Steiner Adair has written, babies are often distressed when they look to their parent for a reassuring connection And discover the parent is distracted or uninterested. Studies show that they're especially perturbed by a mother's flat or emotionless expression, something we might once have associated with a depressive caregiver, but which is now eerily similar to the expressionless face we adopt when we stare down to text, stare away as we talk on our phones, or stare into a screen as we go online. So reading picture books has the complete opposite effect, she says. It removes the negative of extra screen time while adding a terrific positive in the form of skill and brain-building effects. It's a perfect way to ensure that babies and young children get what their eyes so benefit from seeing. Wonderful pictures in books... And the wonderful human face. In her book The Enchanted Hour, Megan talks about some very scientific and technical research that has been done in Cincinnati at the children's um, in, in a research program in Cincinnati. And what they were studying was what goes on in a child's brain with different experiences. The first experience was they're studying brain activity um, when they're listening to stories. The second, when they're hearing stories while looking at illustrations. And third, when the same children are watching animated entertainment. So they wired the children up and they put them into this um, scientific study and they found this. Uh, first, they, they did a baseline What's going on when the children are resting and just looking at a smiley face emoji? Then the image is removed and the experiment begins. One by one, separated by intervals of rest, the preschoolers lay in the dark, listening through headphones to stories. With varying levels of visual stimulus. So they read three different stories, all by the same author. So, trying to create kind of a uh, level playing field so they're not reading something of high, high interest and then something boring, <coughs> excuse me, but they're reading three books by the same author. First was The Sand Castle Contest by Robert Munch, and it was being read by the author, but the children were just hearing the story and they were seeing no pictures. For stage two, they listen to another story by this author, and it's called Andrew's Loose Tooth. It's being read by the author, but it's being accompanied by the illustrations from the book. And then in phase three, the children are watching and listening to an animated version of Munch's the fire station. It was to see what happened in specific brain networks that support early literacy skills. So there were five areas they were studying. They're studying the cerebellum, the default mode network, the visual imagery network, the semantic network, and the visual perception network. And she says the results were breathtaking. Dr. Hutton walked her through a chart displaying the team's preliminary conclusions. So the rectangles in red are the sign of the greatest and highest activity of statistical significance. Pink, a little bit less. Pale and dark blue, where the brain network has appeared to be idle. So she says, we looked first at the data showing what happened when children were listening without seeing anything, and there was one red rectangle. So the doctor said, hmm, you're getting a little bit cooking. A few networks are up, but what stands out is the connection between the introspection and how does this relate to my life and understanding. There's very little connection being made. Because, as she explains, children have very limited experience and haven't built a large library of images, feelings, and memories to draw on. As we talk about in my seminars, children are concrete. So anything that is abstract, symbolic, non-representational, is very hard for young children to connect with. So then he moves his finger over the doctor showing Megan uh, the research. He shows her the next column. And this is the one where children are looking at pictures while they're listening to a story. And the doctor turns to Megan and says, bam, all these networks are firing and connecting with one another, and she said, "Well, you didn't need a medical degree to see this. It was just bright red boxes everywhere. They're listening, they're looking, and their networks are all connecting, reinforcing uh, these these intellectual connections." Then Dr. Hutton points to the third graph, and he said, "But then, if you compare that with the video, everything kind of drops." We sat in silence for a moment, looking at the third portion of the graph. All the red, which meant things were firing, had turned blue. It's like the brain stops doing anything, Megan says. Yes, he said, except for the visual perception. They're seeing the story, they're watching it, but nothing is going on in terms of these higher order brain networks that are involved with learning. What seems to be happening is the decoupling of vision imagery and language the child is seeing the story and watching it but there's no integration with the higher order brain networks the brain doesn't have to do any work imagination falls off a cliff and she says oh well what are the implications of this And he says, in the behavior literature, it's clear that kids who have too much screen time have defects in different areas like language, imagination, and attention. She said his expression became very grave. The years from three to five represent a formative stage of development. If what we know about brain plasticity is true, it will be harder for kids who grow up with undeveloped networks to learn, to come up with their own ideas, to imagine what's going on in stories and connect. They'll be much more dependent on stuff being fed to them passively. He said it's a huge problem and it's becoming more so as screens become more portable. There is no natural barrier to use. Megan says, it's as though nothing is happening in their head while they're watching the video. Then she talked um, about a researcher in England, and his name is Adam Swift, and he did research on children And children who are read to and have family culture and children who are not. And it became a big controversy in England because he kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way said that um, he he, he wrote something in, in the British press that people who read aloud to their children ought to reflect on the way that they are unfairly disadvantaging other people's children. He was just being humorous, but the whole country went nuts and didn't get the joke. The evidence shows uh, that Mr. Swift, the philosopher says, that the difference between children who get bedtime stories or have family culture or have family table time at meals, those people, um, that those children have a huge difference in their life chances, that, um, that this difference is bigger than the difference between those who get elite private schooling and those that don't. So simply reading out loud, eating meals together, having family culture, uh, being involved with your children's lives, that those things give your children a, quote, unfair advantage, in formal academics and he says even and, and he goes on to say um, it's a single most important factor between rich kids and poor kids as measured by literacy mathematics language test scores at the age of four that they can tell the difference if children parenting in this way, reading out loud to their kids, uh, taking them to the library, surrounding them with books, being sensitive and nurturer, nurturing, the researchers said, um, that those are the things that make a bigger difference than sending your children off to an elite prep school or an elite uh, college. So this is something any family can do. We always talk in the seminars about needing a Bible, a library card, and a math program. And that these are really the key foundational elements in creating really engaged, intelligent children. And the most important thing, of course, is reading out loud, but combining that with work and service, that three-legged stool, study, work, service. Um... And, of course, literacy is really the key to so much in understanding how a child is going to develop. Um, A fifth of American teenagers are currently leaving high school functionally illiterate. 20% of American teenagers can't read the directions on a soup can or the warnings on a poison box. 20% are graduating from high school with that kind of deficit. And when you combine that with crime, we find that 85% of the kids who get into trouble with the law have poor literacy skills. That illiteracy is directly linked to jail time. If you do research on the people in jail, you find that across the board they are low or even non-readers it's just, it's a, it's a tragic thing. So her book um, talks about this family that she met, and I'm not sure how she met them, but she put them into a challenge of, you know, what if you uh, read out loud your kids? So Megan Coxgarden brought all these books to this family, and uh, their name was the Rashids, And their names are Julie and Alex. And she said they had heard it was a good idea to read to their children. They planned to do it someday. But they were so busy and so much going on. And they had big extended Greek and Syrian families. And they had a huge big screen TV and iPhones and iPads and all that going on. They had a baby. So they decided to do a three-month trial that would take them from reading nothing out loud to reading every day and they promised that they would turn off their tech and read for at least half an hour each time that they did it so she brought a whole bunch of books and everyone was excited the baby was kind of ripping the books and throwing them in the air and jumping on them which gave her pain but she smiled and and left and then she came back three months later so they started reading out loud. And she said the entire family culture had changed by the time that that she came back. She couldn't believe it. The older children were reading on their own for pleasure. The baby would sit quietly to be read to. The house was so much more cohesive and calm and integrated that the family just had felt so disjointed and so... Huh, just chaotic. But instead, it was a beautiful thing what had happened um, in their home and how each of them started reading. It was it's a beautiful story, and it just took a very short time and a really small commitment to make it happen. So I wanted to read you the table of contents of some of these chapters in her book because I want you to run, not walk, to get this book, give it to everyone for Christmas. You will love this book the first chapter is what reading to children does to their brains why books trump screens and why all children need and deserve the cognitive boost the boost in reasoning Two, where it all began once upon a time and she tells about how through history the oral tradition of the the to storytellers in um, the Middle Ages, even back in Greece and Rome, how even in, e- in Israel, of course, the oral telling of tales, how the word of God was transmitted, and then how when you read together, It strengthens the bonds of love. It creates chemistry and connection. And even when people are far apart, you know that a dad can be in China on a business trip and he can FaceTime in reading aloud the book that he's reading to the family and read another chapter, you know, from China, whoever he is on business. And then four, turbocharging child development with picture books. How when you read picture books, To young children, it accelerates the development of trust, empathy, language, attention span, self-control, and healthy, happy routines in the home. And then she talks about a vast vocabulary that you expose listeners to millions of words they might never have heard. And it unlocks a world for your children. And then the power of paying attention Complicated and mysterious things happen when we give children and teenagers time to listen. They escape the here and now and they can soar in their imagination, explore their intellects, meet sophisticated and complex works of literature as equals. They become friends with people in very abstract and sophisticated worlds and books by simply listening while you read out loud. And then how reading out loud furnishes the mind and it exposes children to art and beauty and cultural literacy. And so you're passing on the classics and you're developing a love for the aesthetics, for, for beautiful, meaningful things. You're raising the bar. You're raising your children's expectations for what is normal life. Um, it's a higher realm than what they may see in just their everyday living. And then she talks about reading from the nursery to the nursing home. And as I read that chapter, I thought about uh, how when my mom uh, had dementia, I took her on a trip to her home um, down in Florida that she had been away from for a period of time in a assisted living place. And I took her to Florida for, I think it was a month. And I thought, what are we going to do together? And so every night I had her read one of my favorite, favorite books uh, called How Dear to My Heart by Emily Kimbrough. And I'm going to do a podcast on that book soon, but it is a delightful retelling of Emily Kimbrough's childhood in Muncie, Indiana and she was an only child and she had all these fun aunts and uncles and grandparents and they all lived in walking distance there in Muncie and It is the most delightful book. And my mom, at about 94 each evening, I'd say, get in your PJs. And then we would sit in her lovely living room and I would have her read to me out loud. And how it helped her to focus because being read to, she couldn't concentrate. But by her reading to me, how she was able to elevate and to function on a much higher level than she was doing, you know, in the course of the day. So these are some of the ideas that um, Megan Kotzgården focuses on in The Enchanted Hour, and I promise you this is a book you're going to want to read. Underline mine is marked from cover to cover. I have stars, different colors of highlighting and underlinings. And I've read through the book twice and I'll probably read it again because it's, it's just so rich and it will inspire you and encourage you and give you a vision to not take no for an answer when it comes to reading out loud to your children. So thank you for listening to me this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. I have a request. Would you mind sharing one of my episodes with a friend. I love to help families homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. When you help me get the word out about what I'm doing here, I appreciate it so much. Until next time, remember, Jesus's commandments are not burdensome. What he calls you to do, he will enable you to do. Blessings.